following is a presentation of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com. Growing in your relationship with God in His Word and growing in prayer. Prayer is such a key focal point of a Christian's life. And I beg you, please, listen to me carefully here. I beg you, don't complicate this beautifully simple thing called prayer. What is prayer? It's a conversation with God where you're speaking to him and he's speaking to you through his word and his spirit as well to your heart. But don't complicate it into something that's just all packed and stacked up with with religious additives around it. Just speak your heart to God and know he's ready to speak back to you as well. Had a conversation last night after our New Year's Eve time together, uh, a young man was asking me, do you think we're going to be praying in heaven? And I, well, yes, of course we're going to be praying in heaven. You know, what is prayer but a conversation? Are we going to stop talking to God when we see him face to face? I mean, the, the, the first expressions of, of prayer are going to be elation and explosive praise, I think. But of course, we're going to be talking with him. So go deeper in prayer this year. And I would really encourage you to get involved in a small group of Christians, like the ones we're talking about here on, on Wednesday night. The study will still be going on here, but working on your marriage, working on, on so many other things, working on how deeply do you want to be healed. And so find some small group that you can get in with. And this is really important. It's not just a small group to get together with once a week, or, but, but it's to find a, a small group of Christians who are crazy in love with Jesus, who want to touch this world for him and go do something together to touch this world. Joy loves to, to say to, to me and says to the kids as they were leaving in the morning, do great things for God. And so it's not just a small group for small group's sake. It's let's go do something in our world for Jesus Christ. So, but if I'm serious about growing in any of those ways, it's always going to require more than just a decision. Why am I using the handheld mic? Thank you, thank, thank you for whoever didn't tell me about that. But um, <laughs> follow through on, on some of those areas is going to mean it's going to be costly. It will cost you something to grow. It always does. Always does. But it's going to mean decreasing in some areas that you've been given time to and in, in increasing in other important areas. And one of those areas, I'm just saying, and, and, and this is convicting to me too, is decreasing our social media time <laughs> in order to increase our face-to-face social time with one another. The time when we gather with one another in one place. And I'm not talking about increasing your FaceTime time with others or your, your Zoom call time with others. I would call this your space time with others, where you're in the same space, you're in the same spot, and you're in each other's lives, and you're growing. But if I'm serious about growing stronger in my walk with Jesus, it's going to be a price that I have to be willing to pay too. And when I say I, I mean I as in me. Those are changes that I'm determined to make as well. But when you look at how Jesus instructed us in the Gospels about what the, most, the two most important commandments were, what were they? In one word, they were relational. So love God and then what? Love, love others. Love others. Love people. And that's not just loving Christian people, 
but loving all people and even somehow touching people in a way that they know they've been loved. They know that they're valued as we speak you know, kindly to people and, and love. Jesus said, even your enemies. So that brings us to our study today. And uh, to be honest with you, there are so many great passages in the Bible that we could turn to on a New Year's Day. And I want you to see some of them. We're going to read them together up on the screen. And some of, I guess they made it into the message, but they're not the focal point of the message. So I just want you to, to read these out loud with me, if you would. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28 to 31. And here's what Isaiah said. Have you never heard? Come on, read out loud with me. Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. Do you love that about God? He never grows weak. He never grows tired. He never grows weary. By by the way, he never grows weary of you either. He's never tired of you. He loves you. So he's never weary. Keep reading now. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. How many have felt a little weak or powerless in this last year? And he got you through it. That's, that's just who he is. Continuing to read in that passage, even youths will become weak and tired and young men will fall in exhaustion. But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. And they will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Who will walk and not faint? They that are trusting in the Lord. Those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. In Isaiah 43, verse 19, I love this one. See, I'm doing a new thing. Is that perfect for New Year's Day or what? I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Let me pause there for a second. If, if I had time to do it, and maybe you can do it with one another, if I had time to do it, I would want to sit down with every one of you, ladies and gentlemen, look you in the eyes, and in reference to whatever struggle you might have been through or might still be going through, because all struggles didn't end at midnight last night. <laughs> they didn't. We carry them into the next year. And I'd want to look you in the eyes and, and say to you this right here. He will make a way. He's going to make a way through. Is that right, Irene? Did he make a way through? Is that right, anybody else? Did he make a way through for you in 2022? He's not done. He, and, and his power didn't stop at midnight last night. He's with you. He'll make a way through the wilderness you're walking through right now. I'm speaking to somebody specifically right now. I don't know who you are. But you find yourself in the wilderness at, at the point where you could be making the worst decision of your life right now if you follow somebody else's thoughts for your life. And he's saying, I am the way. I am the truth. He's not just going to tell you how to get through the wilderness. He will say, follow me because I am the way. I'm the way through the wilderness. And the way, he said, I'll make you streams in the desert too. That's just who he is. Look at this next passage. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Don't you love this one? Because it tells you who you are. When it says he, if you're a he, sing he. Or say he. If you're a she, say she right there. Here we go. If anyone belongs to Christ, he has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's his promise. Something brand new. And this last one. This is where I get my title for today from from Revelation chapter 21. This is a, a verse that shows Jesus speaking his heart. And then John says this. Then he who sat on the throne, which is Jesus, said, 
Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, write, for these things are true and faithful. I think he's referring to the whole book that had just been given to him, all 22 chapters and a little bit more to come in that moment of revelation. But I think Jesus is also saying to him, I make all things new, write that down, John. Because I'm into making people new. I'm into making marriages new. I'm into making churches new. I'm into making relationships between brothers and sisters new. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's talk about one of those new things that God just seems to love to make new. It's just who he is. And today that's going to take us into the little letter of Philemon. Why? Because Colossians that we finished in November before Thanksgiving, Colossians and Philemon are related, and you're going to see why they're related. But I know this is going to sound crazy, but before we turn to Philemon, I want you to stand with me with your Bible opened up. Did you notice I didn't have the rest of you stand, just the people who knew other languages? Let's stand together, and we're going to read six verses from Psalm 98, just verses one through six, and you'll see how this fits. Please read it out loud and strong. Psalm 98. Here we go. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have gained him the victory. When you read right hand in the Old Testament, it's referring to Jesus who sits at the right hand of the Father. Verse 2. The Lord has made known his salvation His righteousness he has revealed in the sight of the nations. He's remembered his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. So shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Break forth in song, rejoice in singing praises. Sing to the Lord with the harp, that's a stringed instrument, and the sound of a psalm with trumpets and the sound of a horn. Shout joyfully before the Lord, the King. Sounds like let's make some noise, right? Father in heaven, I pray that you would do a work in us that's going to make us want to make a lot of noise, a joyful noise for you, Lord. Thank you for being so faithful with your strong right arm, our Lord Jesus and our King. So meet us here, Lord, and take us as a church to a new place. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. That's a happy psalm, isn't it? It reminds me of Christmas Day when we were talking about having something to sing about. You remember this last, last Christmas, uh, a week ago? Many of you were here on Christmas morning, and we talked about those four people who at the birth of Jesus, they realized there's something to sing about. And it was even before the birth of Jesus that Elizabeth When Mary steps into her living room and she's got baby Jesus in her womb and little six months along, uh, John the Baptist in Elizabeth's womb, he starts kicking, kicking when he's in the presence of his Savior who's just begun his journey towards being born. And then Mary jumps into her Magnificat, we call it in, in, in church language, where she just gives praise to God over the Savior that's coming. And then Jesus is born nine months later, and here comes Simeon, and he sings a song of praise over the birth of Jesus. But the one I love the most, I mentioned this last, last week, was little Anna, little old Anna, so old. 
And, and she, she loved God. And when she saw Jesus, she said, oh, this is wonderful, but a whole lot more people need to hear about him. And she went around singing about him to anybody that was looking for salvation. The, 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 the coming of Jesus is something to sing about, but there's other things that are something to sing about. And what we're talking about today is really something to sing about. When God does a work in a person or in a people of his and they come out the other side different, having seen things his way. And so you're going to see that in Philemon. Philemon is really something to sing about too. And that church may have already been singing Psalm 98 or something like it. If, if they saw the impact that I believe they saw as a result of these two letters that, uh, that came their way. And these two letters, like I said, they're connected. They traveled together. They traveled together with the same messenger. His name was Tychicus. And he had been there serving Paul while he was in prison, most likely in Rome. Some people say this came from Ephesus. It's more likely that it was Rome. But he's the mailman who takes the letter to the Colossians. And then he takes with it the little tiny letter of Philemon. And he carries them to the same church over all the way across the Mediterranean Sea in what today is known as Turkey. Colossae was somewhere in probably the western half of that, that peninsula. And so he brings this tiny little letter along with Colossians. But here's the th first thing you need to know. Colossians was written to the whole church. It, it was for the whole church to sit down and let their pastor, whose name we know, let their pastor read that letter to that congregation. But the book we're looking at today, Philemon, was just written to one man. And it was a very personal letter to one man who happened to be a businessman. And so I want you to take a look at this with me, this, this private letter that was not meant for, for global publication. It wasn't meant to be circulated in a form that the whole world full of people could read this very private, personal letter. How many of you have maybe a letter in your possession that was meant for you and nobody else, and you keep it even under lock and key. Nobody is meant to read that. How many of you have a letter that's so personal that you've never shown it to anybody else, whether it's good or bad? But this is one of those kind of letters. How would you like it if your personal letter ended up in the world's bestseller? <laughs> you know how many copies there are of Philemon today in the world? In print, we're not talking about just it's available online to anybody. You know how many copies there are of the Bible in the world today? Somewhere, I, I counted them last night, five to seven billion. I was up late last night. Five to seven billion copies of Philemon bound together with all the others of the 66 books of the Bible. This one little personal letter made it into that. And to me, that's amazing. It's a story. And it, it speaks of a story of a runaway, a man who had a beef with the man that he worked for. And so he left. He left the property owner and he went his way. And he didn't come back on his own accord, not, not to begin with. He was a man who had to stay on the run because he was a runaway slave. And a runaway slave in those days, if he was caught and returned to his owner, that man would be flogged, as we used to say, to within an inch of his life. And that happened way too many times in human history. Slavery is nothing new. And it's nothing old. It's still with us in the world, sadly enough. 
But this man was a, was a slave who had had enough of being a slave. And somehow he made his way all the way to Rome, and he wasn't a Christian when he left his master. He was just a runaway. Somehow he ran into, whether he went searching for Paul or not, we don't know. But he ran into Paul, and you're going to see his life changed at that moment. This man on the run was a man who needed to stay on the run in order to survive. It kind of reminds me of that book, that movie, Les Miserables, a man who just had to keep running, lest he run in with the law. And some, in, in some cases, a runaway slave, in some places in, in the Roman Empire, if they were brought back, they, the, the owner had the right to kill that slave as an example to all of his other slaves. And again, that's nothing new. And there was no law to stop him in that. But w- one of the punishments, if, a, if a, a slave owner wanted to send a different kind of a message but keep the slave, he would brand him on his forehead with what we would put, we would put an F, which meant fugitive, a fugitivo, that he was on, on the run. It would be the Greek letter that was put up there on his, uh, on his forehead. And then he would be seen. And if that man was, was found having run away, he could be killed just for being a fugitive. You know, they say in those days, like this is astronomical to me, that in the Roman Empire alone, not the other neighboring empires, but in the Roman Empire, there were close to 600 million slaves at all different levels, some who had just signed themselves over for a time to work off a debt and others who were born in slavery and would never, ever, ever be free. It was a pitiful, a pitiful institution in the world then. It still is a pitiful institution in the world today. But Paul steps in and he does something new. He calls for something new. I want you to open your Bible to Philemon. Say, finally, Philemon. And we'll move through it rather quickly this morning. It's such a tiny little letter. If you've had trouble finding it and you're thinking, it's not in my Bible. It's just tucked there between Titus and Hebrews. One page. And it says this. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, who was was helping him there in his prison ministry. He said, that's who's writing, here's who's receiving. His letter was written to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. I I want you to notice how beautifully Paul uh, greets his friend Philemon. And he's gonna, there's going to be a turning point in the letter. You'll see it when we get to it. But he starts, oh, my beloved brother, my beloved friend, co-labor, and the beloved Aphia, probably his wife, Archippus, our fellow soldier, maybe another leader in the church, and to the church that is in your house, whose house? Most likely Philemon's house. Philemon would have been a fine, upstanding citizen, a trusted member of that congregation, and most likely, most scholars believe he was probably the pastor of a house church. Did you know that's where the church always met? Maybe down by the river, maybe in a park, maybe somewhere out in the open. If they could find a a large place to gather, they would get permission and gather there. But most of the churches for the first almost 300 years of the history of the church met in your house or in my house. So this is written to the pastor of a house church. And he says, oh, my, my fellow laborer and your family and all your people with you. And then he starts like he always does. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If he was writing to Rome, Romanian Christians, harshipache, grace and peace to you. If he was writing to Hispanics, he would say gracia y paz to you. If he was writing to a tribe that's tucked away in the hills of Papua New Guinea, 
He would say, Mari, Mari, bel belang yapela, I stop easy. That's a lot to say grace and peace, isn't it? Let me tell you what it means. We asked the people who had labored there with some friends uh, how to say grace and peace in that, that tribal dialect. And they said, well, there really was not a concept for grace. Can you imagine living in a culture that doesn't know anything about a free gift? But they said, the closest we could come is Mari, Mari. But I said, so what's the rest of that? I said, belong yapela, I stop easy. It means literally my stomach is at rest between me and you. That's what peace is. It's a relational thing. It means we're okay with one another. That's, it's not just a theological concept. It's a relational thing. And so Paul is saying, Mari, Mari, bel belong yapela, I stop easy. My stomach is at rest with you, my brother. And I thank my God making mention of you always in my prayers. See, this is getting better and better for Philemon. He says, I always pray for you. And he knew that Paul prayed a lot. He said, I always pray for you in all of my prayers. He said, hearing of your love and faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all saints. And Philemon has to be saying, yeah, he knows me pretty well. Yeah, I am so full of love. I'm pretty full of faith. He says, the faith and love you have toward the Lord Jesus, underline this, and toward all the saints. All the saints? Well, maybe not all the saints. Hang on a little bit. He said, towards all the saints, that the sharing of your faith may become evident by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. He's saying, I'm just praying for your ministry to expand in every direction, that the sharing of your faith may become effective in every way. Verse 7, for we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. And he's just got to think, oh, what a great day this is. Paul sat down to tell me how wonderful I am. This couldn't get any better, could it? Well, hold on, Philemon. He says, therefore, oh, that's a turning point. That's what? That's getting to the point. And so therefore, my beloved brother, with all that you do, he said, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, yet for love's sake, I rather appeal to you, being such a one as Paul, I love this, the aged. In other words, now, are you, are you not going to respect an old man like me, he's saying. Come on, Paul. But Paul leans on him here just a little bit. He said, you who refreshes the saints, you who love all the saints, and you that are so full of faith and, and agape love and compassion, said, I want you to do this. For love's sake, I appeal to you as the old man that I am and the prisoner of Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my son, Onesimus. When he said Onesimus, I can just imagine as as Philemon is rolling out this scroll and he sees that name, Onesimus. Onesimus. Oh no. Oh no. Onesimus. That runaway slave of mine. He he had business with him. He had unfinished business with him. He said, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in chains. He said, let me tell you what happened with Onesimus, Philemon. He ran to me and I brought him to Christ. And now something's changed in him. He says, Onesimus, this runaway slave, I've begotten him in chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable. You know what he did right there? It's a play on words. Because the name Onesimus means profitable, the profitable boy. It was given to him by his mom or dad, hoping that 
He's going to help the family out one day, maybe. Gave him a name like good boy profitable. He said, this man who was not profitable to you, well, he's now profitable both to you and to me. He said, so, verse 12, I'm sending him back. Oh, Paul, think about that. Pray about that. Wait on that a while. You're sending a runaway slave back to his owner, his master. He said, I'm sending him back to you. You, therefore, receive him. And that's my heart, he said. That's my own heart. He said, you know what I see, Philemon? I see Onesimus coming to you and you guys receiving one another. I see you opening your arms to him. I'm sending him to you because that's my hope, that's my heart. He says, verse 13, whom I wished, in other words, I wished to keep Onesimus with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. He said, I'd love to keep him with me, but, right? That's right, verse 14, but. He's saying, I can't do that. It's not right. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. That your good deed might not be my, by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. <laughs> Ooh, do you see him reach out and, and grab Philemon's arm and just twist it a little, gently still. He's not going to break any bones, but he's just saying, can we talk about this? He said, I would love to have him stay with me. And there's an inference there. I would love to have you send him back to me as a co-laborer. Would you do that, Philemon? But he said, I can't just keep him without your permission. Without your consent, I didn't want to do this. And I don't think he was thinking so much about the slavery issue. I think he's aiming for the heart of this man because I believe with all my heart that Paul wants to change the world. And he wants to change the institution of slavery. I think he hated it as much as all of us in this room hate the idea of that. But he starts not just with the the institution of it. He starts with an individual. He said, so that it would be not by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. (laughs) I don't know if that's a little bit of like passive aggressive talking right there. You know, getting around saying you want to say one thing, but you're sort of going around the corner. For perhaps, he said, maybe he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. No longer who? No longer as a slave or your slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Underline that line. More than a slave, but a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So Paul, in verse 17, he says, if then you count me as a partner, and he did, his, ch- his home church is supporting him. And, and he said, if you count me as a partner, receive him as you would receive me. Where, where do you think Paul stayed when he went to visit Philemon? Think he stayed in the slave shack? He put him in the best room in the house. Probably that, that cool little loft apartment up above, you know, on the, on the rooftop where he'd just get the breeze on hot days there in Turkey. He said, give him my place. Receive him as if he were me when he comes into your, your home. If you count me as a partner, receive him like you'd receive me. But if he's wronged you or owes you anything, put that on my account. Wow, Paul's putting some skin in this game, isn't he? He said, I'll pay whatever he owes you. I'll buy your slave from you if you want want to sell him to me. If that's where your heart still is, he said, I'll buy him. I'll set him free. And so he says, 
And, and, this, and, and he, right after saying, put it on my account, he says, I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. Other times he'd use the secretary. He said, this is my hand right now saying, I will repay. Not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. It's, that's a little push, isn't it? Did, did, did mama ever say something to you like that? Hey, I brought you into this world and I can't take you out of this world. So, do you know what it was like to carry you for nine months? Do, do you know how hard that was? Do you know what the delivery was like? And Paul is saying, you owe me your whole life. Which is basically the truth here is that he had led Philemon to the Lord. And he's trying to get the heart that Paul has into Philemon on this account. And I wonder if, if you know, as Paul would have known the, the dealings of those days, how many times this would have come up in his prayer for, for Philemon and a change even in their culture. He said, I'm writing with my own hands and, and listen to me on this. You owe me your own life. Whatever it takes to get this right, I'll pay, you pay whoever. But then he says, yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord and refresh my heart in the Lord. Do you remember earlier where he said, you're known, Philemon, you're known to be the man that refreshes everybody. Refresh my heart. Refresh my heart by setting your slave free. And looking at him now as he truly is. He's your brother in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. And having confidence in your obedience. And here it comes again. I know you're going to obey me. I know you're going to do what I'm telling you to do. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. So run with this one, Philemon. And make it a party in your house. Make it a big deal. And set this man free. But meanwhile, also prepare a guest room for me. For I trust through your prayers that I shall be granted to you. And we don't know if he ever made it back there. Doesn't seem like it. And then he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you. Another man who's locked up. As do Mark, the gospel writer. Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, another gospel writer. My fellow laborers. And he ends by saying, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Would you agree with me that it got very personal there, didn't it? And it got very practical. And it got expensive. For this man to, to honor Paul and walk in a new way on a new day, it was going to cost him. We don't know exactly how much, but it would cost him. And you know what? I believe he did what Paul asked him to do. Or I don't think Philemon would have made it out of his possession. I can imagine him if he was you know, more of the, uh, you know, who is he to tell me what to do? That letter would have been shredded and tossed in the fire but it survived because I think he had a big heart. He had a kingdom heart and he could, he could make himself look at that man that was his property as no longer his property, but his brother. And there's something massive that changes in us when, when we begin to look at one another as we really are, as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Paul calls Philemon to make a, a huge step, a bold step, a powerful, powerful step. Like I said, he doesn't go attacking the institution of slavery because Paul, just like Jesus, they could see past the, the big multitude issues. They could see past the institutions and they always went right to the core of any of those things. And they saw the individual. Jesus, I don't think, was impressed with mega, mega church type stuff. Because he always focused on the individual. 
He'd see past the multitude and he would see one broken heart and that's what he would go after. And all my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ and maybe those today that are about to become that, if we can begin to see the value of the individual that's right in the middle of our road every single day and realize that our, our decision to stop and love that person, to greet that person, to be kind and to, and to refresh that person is the work of the kingdom for today. It's, it's, it's as much, if not more, than what I do up here behind what Spurgeon would call this holy desk. <laughs> it really is. It means more. Because if it doesn't escape the four walls of a sanctuary, what is it worth? if it doesn't work in our lives. So Paul is calling deep. He's calling this man to go deep and to turn his head around and see things the way that God does. And then you'd find this in Colossians in chapter three. You'd find it in, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians as well. But I love the way Paul wrote this to the Galatians. Check this out. Galatians three. Read this with me if you would. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. That's what puts us in the family. Your personal faith in Jesus. You're saying, yes, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a savior. That's what you came to do. Save me. He said, you're all children of God through faith in Christ. Now keep reading. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Here's the great news. There is no longer Jew or Gentile Slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Can I see the hands of those who have Jewish heritage? Okay, now can I see the hands of all the rest of you up at the same time? <laughs> That's all there is in the world. There's just Jews and Gentiles. That's all there is. And he says, but it's not, it's not failing to recognize that you've got Jewish heritage and I've got Gentile heritage. It's just saying, don't let those things divide you anymore. Be, be free of those kind of distinctions that force you into different categories. It's, it's not, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave or free the way God sees it, which tells us that there were still some slaves in the churches. This movement hadn't gone far enough. I think Paul with Philemon has just flicked the first domino and hopefully they continued to just come crashing down all around through the churches of those days. But you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're one in him. If you're in the family, you're his and you're ours, one with another. Now, if you have been a Christian long enough, you have probably run into other Christians that see things a little different than you do. How many of you have some Christian friends that you differ on, on maybe a doctrinal point or two or when to go to church? Or How many of you have Christian friends that see things different than you? And have you ever had the conversation with them where you say, hey, brother, sister, hey, we're still one in Jesus Christ. And you, and you told them, you don't have to agree with me. You can be wrong. That's okay. You don't have, you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> you want to say that? Don't say that. Stand on the common ground in Christ, which is what this, this meal that we're about to have is all about. This tells us that through one man's blood, men and women, slave and free, every race under the planet has been brought together into one body in Jesus Christ, who is the way, not one of the ways, and one of the truths, and one of the paths to heaven, 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way to the Father but by me. He was either out of his mind or lying or he was telling the truth. There's no other way but through Jesus Christ. And when we come one by one through faith in Jesus Christ, we become that one body, no longer divided by all those distinctions, beautifully put together, a kaleidoscope of all of our cultures and all of our races and all, just all who we are. It's a beautiful thing. And if we can begin to live that out day after day, oh my goodness, what that's going to say to the world that we live in in 2023. And so my hope today is, is that we will embrace the beauty of the oneness that we have in Jesus Christ. And in this new day, God would do a new thing among us. He that said, I came to make all things new would refresh our minds on who we are and how we're to live and how we're to embrace one another. I want you to do something here. It just takes you four or five seconds. I want you to look around the sanctuary, which means you're going to have to look over your shoulder or turn around. You don't need to say anything to anybody, but look around enough until you see at least three people that are different than you. You need more time? Do you need more time? <laughs> you know what you just looked at right there? If that person loves Jesus like you love Jesus, that's family. And you're one in him. And we've got something to do together in Christ, don't we? We have a life to live for Jesus that touches this world in a way that I think nobody else can do it. There, if, if, there's, if, if there's one place in the world, the family of God is that one place where it should not matter what our status in life is and what the color of our skin is and whether we're man or woman, boy or girl, how much we make, how much we don't make, I, I would imagine that in a congregation this size, there's probably somebody in here, and maybe more than one, I wouldn't know, that makes more than a million bucks a year. It's not me. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what else there is here? There's people that don't make anything in a year. Nothing. There, there, there are people in our congregation that don't even have a place. But they love Jesus. And we're one. And those distinctions that usually you know, keep people from one another need to be done away with so we can be the church that he wants us to be in a day like this. The family of God is that one place where it shouldn't matter what our status is, what our history was, what we look like, on and on and on. This is, this is such big stuff. This changes everything. This makes all things new. It does among us. This revolutionizes a church too. You know, Paul says, Philemon, this is your brother now I'm sending back to you. Open up your arms and receive him, not as your property and not a second-class citizen. You know, there were, when, when, when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, there was division between the haves and the have-nots. And the poor people were being pushed back from the potluck table. He says, you guys don't even know how to do a potluck right. And even communion, they must have communion because of those attitudes. But he says, no longer receive this man as your brother. Well, did Philemon respond with grace and humility? I think he did. I don't know. But I think he did. But the big question today is not did he. The question is will we? Will we, will we linger with one another as brothers and sisters 
that love the same God, the same Savior, and are trying desperately to reach the same world with that love of, the, of Christ, the truth of the gospel. May God help us to see one another as we really are. Amen? See, if we do that, it'll bring on a Psalm 98 response <laughs> of, oh, the good things that God has and the good things that God has done. We'll be reaching for the harp and for all those other instruments and we'll be making a lot of noise over the goodness of God among us. I want you to take your communion cup that you were given and the worship team is gonna come on back out. Communion for me is always a time of, of surrender to the truth of the gospel. It really is. Um, we sang in the, the last song that we sang before um, we started our study time. We sang these words, with, with my life laid down, I surrender now. And Lord, I give you everything. I, I, I give you everything. It's, it's easy to sing that, isn't it? It's, it's easy to say that, but in the heat of the battle, we know it costs us to live that oneness. And, and maybe before you leave the building today, after you say hi to Rick and Cindy, um, Johnston, and maybe some of those people that you realize, hey, I'm different than them. You might just go get their name and, uh, and, and begin to build those kind of bridges and relationships that go deep over the years. But Paul, I love Paul's version of what happened on the night of, uh, of communion or the, the Passover when the communion supper was established. He says, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and that bread was just leftover bread on the Passover table. It was leftover matzah, almost like a pita, but a crispy pita. And, and he took the bread, and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he passed it around the table, and he says, all of you eat from this, this one piece of bread. Break off a piece, eat together. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. He said, do this in remembrance of me. Then it says, in the same manner he took the cup, which would have been the last cup on the table that still had wine in it. And he said, and this cup stands for, represents my blood that is shed for the sins of the world. He says, do this in remembrance of me. He said, and he was telling us, remember what it's going to cost me to save you. And they would see that before the day, the next day was over. What he did in, in that, that simple moment was reminded them how valuable they were to him. That it was his body that would be offered, his blood that would be spilled so they could be saved. I'm going to pray a prayer and invite you to pray it after me. But I want you to I want to tell you what I'm going to say so that maybe there's someone here who's never really made a, a focused, intentional surrender of their life to their Savior Jesus. I got to say this to you. I don't mean this to sound harsh, it's just the truth. It's like a doctor would say to you, you have cancer, but I can, I can, I can change that for you. So I'm going to tell you the truth. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. But Jesus is a Savior, and he came to save sinners. In our most, in our most honest moments, we all know that, that we messed up, we blown it. The Bible calls it sin, and the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is 
eternal life through Jesus Christ. So I'm going to pray something like this. Father, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for me, for my sins. And he rose from the dead. And I confess to you that I've sinned and I need your saving. Something like that. So I, I don't want to mislead you into something. I want you to know what you're saying. But if you're at a point where you're ready to say, Jesus, I need you, save me. Because I can't fix my broken life, apparently. Then I want you to join me in this prayer. And you'll hear the congregation praying with you right now, too. So let's pray this. Father in heaven, I thank you for Jesus Christ, your son, who took my sins to the cross and died for me. I have sinned, and I need your saving, so I surrender my life to you, and I ask for your forgiveness, and I receive your gift of life right now. Make me the person you want me to be. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. So Father, bless this bread as we take it together right now, as we, we focus on the body of Jesus and carry our sins away to the of Refuge Calvary Chapel Huntington Beach with Pastor Bill Welsh. For more information about our ministry, please visit refugefamily.com or call 714-891-9495.